My job is to have the Purdy's recite the verses that they... <laughs> Just kidding, we trust you. Let me pray and we'll look a little bit at Galatians 5. Father, as we've already sung, prayed, confessed, we are, we are loved by you with a matchless love, one that we begin to understand in this life and will, I, I think, be ever perfected in that understanding and glory. We pray that in the, in the word we look at today, or the several words we look at today, that we, we, we would be more deeply shaped. To know that we are indeed loved by you and, and shaped in return to be lovers with you of others. It is a tall task, one we are not up to, but one your Holy Spirit is up to. So help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. 1967, some of you were around but probably don't remember so much. Very first multinational television broadcast, they launched four communication satellites and they were linked all together. And the first uh, multinational broadcast was a TV show called Our World. And the Beatles were, were commissioned with presenting something in English for the English-speaking world that would have substantial impact, that would speak to the whole world at one time in this first broadcast. And keep in mind, 1967, sort of kind of the, the height of disruption in our country and in Europe, and Vietnam's going on, and it's just like a lot of tension. And uh, so they brought, it to the chagrin of Paul McCartney, one of John Lennon's songs, and you know probably, uh, all you need is love. Love is all we need. I'm not going to sing it, but you know, so all I have to say is the phrase, you're like, you can, you can hear it. You can hear John Lennon, all you need is love, that, right, that one. Um, and the scripture would say, I think to John Lennon, John, that is the right inclination. That is right. In some way, all we need is love. And while John Lennon was not a great theologian, he was a great artist, of course, and a man made in the image of God and so intuitively knows, knew, that we are created for love. That was the original design pattern, that we were created to live in a world of love, to receive love, and to express love. That's how we're made, though broken and tarnished by the fall as it is now. That was the original design pattern. And unfortunately, I think, as far as I know, John Lennon was not connected to the source that can reliably produce that type of love. He was not a follower of Christ. The good news is, the scripture would say to you today, if you are in Christ by faith, the remarkable truth is that you are connected to the source that can reliably produce love in your life. In spite of what's happened to you and in spite of the people in your life, you are connected to a source that fosters, creates, and energizes love. Though we know, we know I know especially, that uh, it's really easy to functionally become disconnected from that source and not draw on the grace that is ours. I cannot tell you how many times in my Christian life I've been reading something in the scripture, having a conversation with someone, often my, my wife, and just coming to the sense like, Roger, you have not been loving recently. You just stopped loving. 
It's the fundamental thing. And you, you just left off loving like Christ loves. If you are in Christ, friends, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of the living God. And part of his work in your life is to reproduce the life of Christ in you. We are looking at, for the next few weeks, at what's called the fruit of the Spirit. On the front of your insert, there's this uh, picture of a fruit, and it has like nine different descriptors in it. We are looking at love today, and they're calling this series The Fruitful Life. At the, underneath that little graphic there is Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This descriptor we're looking at today is love. And we're saying the love of Jesus is cultivated in us by the Holy Spirit. The love of Jesus is cultivated in us, sometimes pretty slowly because our life is pretty messy and we resist the cultivation. But that love of Jesus is cultivated in us by the Holy Spirit. Now, the fact that the love is the first description in the fruit of the Spirit is not surprising because it's like one of the main themes in the Bible. The problem when you preach one sermon on one of the main themes in the Bible is that you miss most of what the Bible has to say about it. So like the next few minutes are going to be just treated as a start. We're going to look at several verses. And, and normally we don't do this. I, if it looks like I just threw a bunch of Bible verses in here, it's because I threw a bunch of Bible verses in here. We normally don't do that. We normally drill down on one thing, but this theme is so broad that we're just going to take a uh, kind of a 10,000 foot view and say, now let's let that move us on into our life. Uh, Some people would say that what they think this is saying is the fruit of the spirit is love. And that the rest of those eight descriptors are just describing love. I don't know if that's the case, but what we do know is in the, the world of the Bible in the first century, love was a very rich concept, so much so that the Bible refers to, refers to four different concepts that we just translate as love, with the word love. You may know this if you've been around sort of the church for any time. There's the, the aspect of family love, which is the Greek word storge. There's the word eros, from which, which means romantic love. We get the word erotic. There's a word for brotherly or friendship love, which is phileo, which is, we get, you know, the, the city of Philadelphia takes its name, the city of brotherly love, which is ironic if you've ever been around Philadelphia Eagles fans, but here it goes. Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, and then, of course, there's the word agape. Agape is the Greek word that means a selfless, self-sacrificing love, and almost any time the Bible calls us to love or impels us to love or commands us to love, it is with the word agape, which is the selfless, self-sacrificing, self-giving love. Now, the fact that there are at least four concepts that we just translate in one big bucket called love with one word as I was thinking this week, I, I wonder if it means that we're kind of simpletons when it comes to love because we don't make very good discriminations. We say we just use the word love very generically. Um, and when we don't have complexity in things, we just sort of hear things generically. So the last song we sang before the sermon was We Give Thanks. Uh, you may not know this. We sang that in the key of E. Anybody know that we sang it in the key of E? Anybody could figure that out? Okay, got a few people, right? I know we sang it in the key of E because I asked Megan right before the, ser- the service, what key are we singing this in? 
I can't tell you at the key of E or F or C. Like every song to me is in the key of music. That's it. I don't, I don't. Now, it's, that's not, now some of you would be like, Roger, you're such a music simpleton. You are correct. I know nothing. I mean, I just sing, I can sing, I can see the words, I can sing the, the, the song, that's it. I'm a simpleton when it comes to music. Don't judge me, right? Uh, some of you would say some ridiculous thing like, baseball is so boring. It's like watching paint dry. Basically, you're just seeing one person throw a ball and another person is trying to hit the ball and it takes forever. Okay, fair enough. But to some of us, that that person throwing the ball is throwing a cutter or a slider or a backdoor slider or a changeup on the outside corner to a person who's inclined to chase the low and outside fastball or slider or changeup when he's got two strikes. We know all these things. You say, well, you're sophisticated baseball. That's right. You're a baseball simpleton. I'm not. Um, you, you, and you don't care. Right? That's fine. <laughs> You're happy being a baseball simpleton. Fair enough. We're probably all of us or most of us snow simpletons, right? In January, we're going to look outside and say it's snowing. We have a word for snow. It's snow. The Inuit language of the Eskimos has like 50 different words for different kinds of snow. They are not snow simpletons. We are snow simpletons. So we're not very complicated when we think about these things. We don't give a lot of language to it. I was thinking this week of, let's say there was a, a remote tribe who had a word for these animals that fly through the sky, and they always just called them birds, right? So, strikingly, same as we do. <laughs> They're birds, right? So, they just call the flying things in the sky birds. Cool. And then another tribesman comes along one century and throws a boomerang, and it comes back. And they're like, oh, that flew through the sky. It must be a bird. They call the boomerangs birds. Okay, that goes on for centuries. What we call birds are birds, boomerangs are birds, and then contact with the modern world, an airplane, it flies through the sky, must be a bird. Helicopters, birds, drones, birds, shooting stars, birds, everything's a bird. And we would say that tribe is not very sophisticated. They could think more clearly if they had more words for this one thing. Fair enough, I no dispute about that. We say things like this, I love pumpkin spice latte. I love the Indianapolis Colts, and I love my spouse. We use the same word for things that do not mean the same thing whatsoever, or definitely different gradations of the same thing. Now, I don't know if that means that we're love simpletons. It does mean like, you know, John Lennon said, all we need is love. Like our language says, well, all you have is love, so that's a good thing, right? You say love for everything. You love it. You love pumpkin spice lattes like you love your wife. Um, I don't know if that means we're love simpletons or not. I do think it means we need to ask some particular and specific questions when it comes to love in the Bible. And the type of love the Holy Spirit develops in God's people. So I want to ask just a couple questions this morning. One, what love is actually being cultivated in your life as a Christian? Secondly, why does he do this? And third, how does it happen? What love is being cultivated why does he do it, and how does it happen? So other sermons in this series will likely, possibly, take an episode of Jesus' life, let's say when he displays peace or patience or kindness or faithfulness, and riff off that. There's a problem with Jesus and love, though, is that we don't have only one place in his life when he's doing this. We know from Scripture that all of Jesus' life is driven by love, all of it. So he takes on flesh because he loves the people he came to rescue. He toils for years in a carpenter shop. Why? He loves. He's, he's waiting. He loves 
the work he came to do. He calls his disciples to leave their life and follow him in earnestness because he loves them. He eats with outcasts because he loves them. He challenges the power of religious leaders, not because he hates the religious leaders, but because he loves them and they're deceived. He ignores the power of Pontius Pilate at the end of the day because in some way his heart goes toward Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate thinks he has the authority and Jesus knows he is not. He weeps at the grave of Lazarus because he loved Lazarus and loves his sisters Mary and Martha. His heart goes out in compassion to those who have lost everything because he loves. He warns of hell not because he's a harsh fire and brimstone preacher, but because he loves. He's driven by love. He warns of the corrosive potential power of wealth because he loves his people. He calls us to trade our anxiety for trust in him, not because he doesn't care how we feel, but because he loves us and he's leading us to life. He says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Not because he's bigoted, not because he's narrow, and not because he's harsh, but because he's loving and he wants people to know how to get to the Father. Everything Jesus does in his life and all the gospels is driven by love. However, when we let Jesus himself speak, he says there is something even greater than all those other things that I did. All those other displays of love in my life are surpassed by something. In John 15, this is the night Jesus is arrested. He will be crucified the next day. He says these words, John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. And remember, he's about to be arrested shortly after he says this, and the next day, he will be crucified. There's, according to Jesus, there's something about the cross and the display of love in the cross that overshadows and surpasses all the other displays of love in his life. According to Jesus, says something about the way he displays love in the cross that overshadows and surpasses all the other displays of love in his life. Guys, that's the kind of love the Spirit is birthing in us. Over time, in mess, in spite of our resistance, in the difficulty of our life. And that's the greatest love and it brings all other loves with it. That kind of life laying down love. And I'm gonna give a thumbnail sketch of this love from the text. It is a resilient love. Luke 9 when the, when the days drew near for him, for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's a reference to the cross. That's what's waiting for him in Jerusalem. When Jesus was faced with the hardest thing, he moved toward it. He didn't falter. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't find a reason not to do it. He moved toward it. This means that if you're in Christ, you were loved with an initiative-taking love. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 50 verse 7 says that Jesus set his face like flint to go toward Jerusalem. 
That's an exceedingly hard stone. As if Jesus is saying, I know what's going to happen is hard. I'm harder. I'm going into this with my face set like flint to go toward the cross. This means none of us here was easy for Jesus to die for. Some of you are more pleasant than others. Some of you are more pleasant than me. I know this. You know this. I praise God for you pleasant people. You know who you are. We know who you are. You were not easier for Jesus to die for. The Holy Spirit is cultivating in his people, in you and me, us individually and together, a love that moves toward that takes the initiative, that doesn't first ask, how hard is this gonna be to love another person? Now, part of me pushes away from that. I can be very good at a kind of math that calculates how hard is this person gonna be to love in this situation? It's one of the benefits of ministry. You get to be really good at that kind of math. And the harder it is, Frankly, the more in my flesh I am disinclined to move toward that situation in love. The love that's being birthed in us is not a love that can't do the math. It's a love that just moves anyway toward the person. Realizing, yes, it's gonna be hard. And I, because Jesus set his face like Flint to love me, I will set my face like Flint toward others. But it's only as we see and grasp the reality that Jesus set his face like flint to go to the cross for me that I begin to have the resources to actually move toward others. As we get that, it creates a, a flinty resilience in us. The love of Christ is resilient. It is sacrificial. It's giving of self, 1 John 3. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The point here is that Jesus gave himself, all of himself. He was sacrificial. He laid down himself, his life. And the apostle John here says, here's a form of laying down yourself, giving of your resources to another. Right? It could be giving of money, as John talks about here, but let's, let's bring that down. It could be giving of time or of emotional resource. It could be giving of skill to help someone. Uh, and it's, it's a self, love is a self-sacrifice. It gives of ourselves to another. Now this is, uh, let me do a little aside here. This says if anybody sees a brother in need, that would be referring to those in the body of Christ. And let me uh, do a little caveat here. Uh, there is sort of a, a biblical order to serving people. Not that we're saying we close our hands to anybody, just in our hearts to anybody, but like we have to understand the order. The, the scripture would teach us, First Timothy 5 would teach us like, first it is your, your own family, right? And the actual needs of your, your own flesh and blood. Then the, the body of Christ, this is the, talking about the brothers or sisters here. So Galatians 6.10 says, we do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. And then it's not closing our hands to outsiders. We just have to give, you know, 
there's, there are limited resources sometimes, so that is the order. So your own family, the body of Christ, and then the wider world, probably in geographical proximity to you. The point here, though, is that actual love actually costs something. I just wish there was an alternate way for that to be. There's just not. It means we incur a loss for the sake of others. It then by definition means it's not comfortable. Like I have this category for courageous love that's comfortable and courageous love that's uncomfortable. There is nothing in the courageous love that's comfortable category. I wish there's nothing there. We want everything to be there. There's actually nothing there. But in Christ, we, we realize something. Yes, it is giving of ourselves to another, but in, we realize in Jesus, we're connected to a source that keeps giving to us as we give. It may not be the exact same resource, but we keep being filled up by Christ as we keep giving us. So we can, we, if we remain in him or as we remain in him, we're filled up by Christ uh, sort of uh, horizontally, vertically rather, and then we are empowered to love horizontally. That's why Jesus says in John 15, remain in me. Remain in me, you bear much fruit. You bear the fruit of love as you remain in me. I have very little resource in myself to love well. Some of you have a little more than I do, but not a ton more. But in Christ, we have all the resources we need to love well as we are connected to him. It's resilient, it's sacrificial, and finally, it's merciful loving. This is giving what is needed rather than what is earned. Romans 5 but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how so much more uh, now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Jesus gave us what we needed, which was mercy, not what we had earned. Now that sounds simple, and this is kind of the depth heart of the gospel. It's something we learn as a child in rooted and then forget as an adult over and over again. We live by grace, not by what we deserve, but by what we need. Over and over and over. Jesus gives us what we need, not what we earn, not what we deserve. That's the type of love the Holy Spirit is cultivating in us slowly to be able to look at another and say, what does this person need? Not what is this person earning from me right now? What is this person deserving right now? What does this person need? As we and to the extent we see Jesus loved and loving us this way, giving us what we need, we are empowered to say, I'm going to We'll talk about the deserving and earning later. What do you need now? That is love. That is what we've received. That's the kind of love the Spirit is cultivating in God's people. So we can summarize by saying the Holy Spirit cultivates love that lays down its life for the glory of God and the good of the other. The Holy Spirit cultivates love that lays down its life for the glory of God and the good of of the other. And those are, that's an important direction, right? The glory of God first, and that he gets to describe what love is. So the, what is the good of others? It's not the good according to the, the whim of our culture 
or the spirit of our age. That's just not what it is. It's not the good that makes me comfortable or necessarily even the good that that person says, this is what I want. We allow God speaking in his scripture to describe what love is and say, what, is, what are people made for? What is their good? And then we say, by the power of the spirit, in the weakness of my own self, I want to move with Jesus toward another for what is their good and what glorifies God and is best for them, even if it's not comfortable to me. That's what love is. Why is love cultivated in this way? First, there's so many ways. I just picked three out of the New Testament. First, it, it, it shows the beauty of Jesus. John 13, a new, this is again his last night, before he, the night he's arrested. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's a huge statement. What is the hallmark or the mark of a Christian according to Jesus? The thing that says, I am a disciple. Not powerful worship, not perfect arguments, right? Not political power, not even doing good works out in public. And all those things are fine. He says, the mark that shows that you are my disciple is that you have love for one another. And it's expressed love for one another. Another way he could be saying this is, this is how I have ordained that people come to me. They see my people worshiping me in truth and loving each other freely, and they are invited into that by my people, and they say, I do want some of that. I do want some of that. Now, I know some of you, like, we, you long for people in the city of Indianapolis to come to Christ. You long for a fresh movement of the gospel in Indianapolis. We pray for that. I want that. You may have deep missional inclinations. I want to see the gospel go into the world. Yes and amen. What Jesus is saying here is one of, if not the most powerful thing we can do to see the gospel go out into the world is look to the left or right in this room a few people and give your life for them. Jesus said, this is how I've ordained that people know you're my disciples, that this whole thing is real and they come to me. And the, it's, it's really great news and super hard news at the same time. Um, it shows the beauty of Jesus. There's nothing like love in the body of Christ to show the beauty of Christ. Secondly, it holds us together. Colossians 3, the apostle Paul writes, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other. As, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So there's some way in which this love uh, binds all the good graces of the Christian community together. Maybe like act like the banks of a river to give all those other things a particular focus and power. One other passage I lament not putting in here, and I'm just going to read it to you from 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Meaning this is the last chapter. 
There's nothing, the next thing that happens is Christ returns, restores all things to himself. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Self-control and clear thinking helps us to pray better, more accurately. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Above all, above everything. Keep loving one another earnestly in this last chapter. Since love covers a multitude of sins. The most important thing, Jesus, above everything else, there are things up there, but this is above all, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. Not necessarily covers over like pretends it's not there, but overcomes a multitude of sins. Sometimes, over the years, I've had an opportunity to sit down with people in conflict. Sometimes it's a husband and wife, and it gets long and deep and complicated. And there's all kinds of nuance, and each of them has 10,000 reasons why it's the other person's problem. And there's actually one issue, one. They stop loving each other. Full stop. It is so difficult and so simple. Love covers a multitude of sins. It is unbelievable. And we get in this place where we're not asking, what does a person need, but what do they deserve right now based on how they've treated me? And yeah, blah, 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 blah. And I just want to say, can you love each other? Please. Jesus has loved you. And then two months later, I'm probably treating my wife the same way. But the good news is the Holy Spirit is committed to birthing in us a resilient, sacrificial, merciful love, but we must give ourselves to that cultivation. This is the desire and delight of our Father to give the Spirit for these reasons. So let me just say too, like if during this time, like if you sense like, oh, you know, I've been avoiding loving a person, if they, a little nudge in your soul, I would encourage you to treat that as the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit of the living God and go move toward that person and set your face like flint with resilient love toward that person. Let's just see what happens. Not asking what do they earn, what do they deserve, but what do they need? And giving of ourselves because we are connected to a resource that is unending. We are rooted in a love that is, that is uh, never runs out. Love shows the beauty of Jesus, it holds us together, and finally it fulfills the law. Galatians 4, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Part of this means that if we love each other, we'll naturally do God's law or what he instructs in his word. The flip side is if we're unclear what love is, we can look at his word. And he, the, the law or the word of God doesn't give us power in itself to carry out the love, that's through the spirit and the gospel, but it does give us accurate description of what love actually is. So this is a, I think this is important in a day when we are love simpletons in our culture. Okay? And love can sort of be bent to mean whatever we want it to mean. In about, I don't know, eight years ago now, when the whole thing, um, let me caveat this, I'm going to make a, it, I don't even care. When the whole thing about whole, uh, same-sex marriage came up in America, the phrase like, love is love, love is love, love is love. It just kind of came all the time. Now, I get what people are saying. It makes total sense from a secular perspective in a world disconnected from the scripture. But when you come to the scripture, it's like, that's not true at all. That's like calling a shooting star a bird. 
Like there's, dis- there's distinguishing things the Bible gives, the creator gave, right? We need the instruction of God to understand what love is in the public sphere or in parenting or in business or in school or in the church. We need that or we're just making up love, the definition changing as we go day to day to day to day. And love means one thing to you and one thing to me. But the good news is there's an eternal, enduring, ancient pathway that is love and that's the very thing the spirit empowers in our own life. That's what he's cultivating. How is he cultivating this? Okay, three ways. These aren't comprehensive, but sermons tend to break down into threes. You probably notice this by now. One is laboring. First John 4, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. There's an urging here, a challenge here by the apostle John to the church. Work at it. Work at loving. It's a call. We need to be commanded because we need to go in that direction. The command doesn't create the ability. It gives us the direction. The spirit creates the ability, but we have to work at it. Any relationship we stop working at loving is a relationship in which love stops working. Okay? Let us love one another, New City. Let us love one another, husbands and wives. Let us love one another, community groups. Let us love one another, estranged friends. Let us love one another, those who are nurturing bitterness in our heart against another because something they said or did or didn't say or didn't do. Let us love one another like with a flinty, resilient love with which we've been loved by Jesus. By loving, by laboring. Second, by looking. Second Corinthians 3. And we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, not like it, it was a, that word means beholding cloudily because mirrors were polished brass. It doesn't mean like, oh, I see myself in a mirror. It means like you see in a mirror, it's, it's fuzzy. Beholding cloudily the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So what Paul's saying is somehow by beholding Jesus, by imagining him, by meditating on him, by seeing him with the eye of faith, by thinking about him, by praying to him, by reflecting on him, we are being changed by the spirit to be like him. And, and then John, 1 John 3, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when Jesus appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. There is a day coming when we finally see Jesus in fullness and somehow in that moment we're transformed to be like him. So we behold Jesus through the eye of faith, imagination, prayer, reflection, uh, meditation. Our admiration for Jesus deepens and we become more like him. Our admiration for what he's done for us deepens and we become more like him. Our admiration for for what he's done for others deepens and we become more like him. So this is the path of growth, seeing Jesus. That's why every week we come to the communion table. Every week. Doesn't it get boring doing it every week? Doesn't it get rote? Does it get boring seeing Jesus every week? There's more and more for him to see. That's why we try to preach Christ-centered sermons every week. That's why we look at all the contemporary pop songs, worship songs, and throw 95% of them out. Like we're dedicated to Christ-centered songs because we want to see Jesus clearly because that is how we are changed, considering his love deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think this is the case. I think it's the case. And I'm going to stand aside because this is a Roger statement, not necessarily from the text. I think this goes on forever. 
a little bit of philosophy here, but I think this goes on for at the restoration of all things. We, we still, I, as I understand it, continue to grow and deepen and change. And as we deepen our appreciation for what life is and who Jesus is, our appreciation for his love deepens and we are filled more and more, not just in this life, but in the life to come, more and more and more, faster and more for all eternity. We intuitively know this, I think, just in our own experience of life. When I was 20 in college, Schindler's List came out. Anybody ever seen that movie? I saw it in college. I am never watching that movie again. Schindler's List is about the, uh, the businessman, Oskar Schindler, who rescued thousands of Jewish people from the Holocaust and from, from the Nazis at, his, at the cost of his own wealth. And I remember watching that at 20 or 21 years old and being just struck by it. So profound. It was so weighty. I remember leaving the theater in silence with everybody else. I would never watch that movie today. I don't think I could handle it. I'm not 21 anymore. I have a lot more appreciation for life. I mean, uh, my silly 21-year-old self knew this was weighty. But I was, hadn't been married for 30 years. I hadn't had deep, deep friendships for another 30 years. Hadn't had kids. Hadn't had grandkids. Hadn't seen the beauties and the mysteries of Christ like I do now. The more appreciation you get for life, the more weighty that movie would be. I don't think I could watch it again. I mean, that's why we cry as we get older and we, we watch movies. You ever notice that? Like every dad I ever talked to, like once I had kids, I can't get through a movie without crying. Stupid Disney movies I'm crying at, right? Because the appreciation for life deepens. Our deepening will not stop the moment Christ returns. It's just the real beginning. That's why Jonathan Edwards, a theologian, says heaven is a world of love. Not static love, deepening more and more and more through all eternity. That's the same story we're on now. And now, by the power of the Spirit, we get to behold a little bit of Jesus. And he says, come and see me. I want to give myself to you. And finally here, not just by laboring, not just by looking, but by longing. We'll close with this, Ephesians 3. This is Paul praying for the Ephesian church, which is a good, loving, healthy church. And frankly, guys, the Ephesian church is a lot like New City. You guys are pretty awesome. Don't pat yourself on the back too much, but like, you guys are great. I love this church. This is a good church. A lot of people come say, I love this church. Yes, and, and Paul said, I love the church in Ephesus. And here's what he prayed. He prayed for them because the spirit was active in them and was doing good things. He said, I want you to have more. Look at this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We gather a couple times a month as elders to pray for this congregation. That is often the prayer for this congregation. We pray that you be rooted and grounded in love and be filled up to the fullness of the knowledge of God. That you go deeper in Jesus and know in that going deeper in him that he's actually already gone deeper for you. Part of the way we celebrate that depth every week and press into the rootedness and groundedness is this table. This is Jesus giving himself to us and saying, come all over again and taste and see that I am good. That I've given a, a flinty, resilient love for you. I'm birthing that in you. 
If you're in Christ, I'm gonna invite you to this table. It's, a, it's the picture of Jesus resiliently, sacrificially, and mercifully loving us to birth that kind of love in us. So let me pray for us, and then we will come to the table.